Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Movies. My name is Daniel Berrios, I am your host, and today we're going to be talking about Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillette's Screen 6. I had this secret. There's a darkness inside of me. It followed me here. And it's going to keep coming for us. We share a certain history. This isn't like any other ghost face. What is this place? A shrine. We've got to lure him in. We execute him. Hello. Let's play a game. You know you're like the tenth guy to try this, right? It never works out for the dipshit in the mask. Maybe. But there's never been one like me, Gale. <laughs> I'm something... different. That's why I'm gonna shoot you in the head. You want me. So let's finish this. Guys? Continuing a couple months after the last Scream movie, Sam and Tara Carpenter, played by Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega respectively, have moved to New York, tried to distance themselves from tragedy, start college, new life. Friends Chad and Mindy go along with them, uh, played by Mason Gooding and Jasmine Savoy Brown respectively. But as is with pretty much every Scream movie, it only really takes one ghost face attack for everybody involved to kind of go back on the hunt and be really worried about what is going to happen and worried that Ghostface is coming for them yet again. It really does not take long for the movie to be like, well, here we go. It's uh, it's Ghostface. He's killing more folks and he's targeting Sam and Tara specifically. So now they've got to figure out not only how the rules of surviving a requel, which is like a reboot sequel, but the sequel to the requel, because of course the requel was successful. And so, for comparison, if Scream 5 is supposed to be Force Awakens, this should be The Last Jedi. But in my mind, it's not The Last Jedi, it's The Rise of Skywalker. Because as this movie dictates, I guess the rules are that this movie is to be bigger in every single way possible, that you're going to have all... The legacy characters come back that in horror movies there's just like a bigger body count it's bloodier and yes all these things are true of scream six i just found myself wondering why do i care and that's kind of the main dose i get with this thing is just outside of the meta what makes these movies special anymore because the characters really aren't it I find that the few arcs they do introduce in the movie, you know, Tara trying to be more independent in college and Sam dealing with these 
really dark thoughts. I, I can't really ex even explain what this subplot is. It's that she's haunted by visions of her dead father. I guess, spoiler alert for Scream 5, Billy Loomis, who is still showing up in this weird disembodied, like, reflection in the mirror style that's like, oh, you need to give in to your serial killer tendencies as if serial killer being one is hereditary and it's just such a bizarre psychological approach to this thing those traits not traits those uh ideas are never really followed up on hi gabe this is my son he's showing up as i'm recording and touching my laptop he's touching my laptop like he's touching my phone he thinks that the screen is gonna move can you say hi gabe can you say hi say hello Hello. No touch, please. Let's get out of here. Let's go, buddy. Gotta go. Good job. Very good job. <laughs> he was swiping on the laptop screen as if it were my phone, like he could move it. Uh, this generation, it's gonna, it's gonna be weird raising that kid. Anyway, seeing these characters go through their arcs, and there aren't really arcs. They're just. It feels to me like filler. Like, oh, the characters need to be doing something so we can have them continue on through an entire movie. And in my mind, it just wasn't... It wasn't fleshed out nearly as enough to make me care about them themselves. And I guess the meta conversation that this movie's having about horror movies or franchises or movies in general is just becoming so broad and vague that even those just feel like that the actors are less of characters and more of talking heads now there are sequences where all the characters known in this movie as the core four are just sitting around talking about the rules of this stuff and as they're kind of mishmashing all of these horror cliches and franchise cliches together first thought of mine was are these actual rules of the horror movie universe that the sequel to the reboot has to be bigger and badder than ever like is that just like a franchise thing because as far as i've noticed like last jedi took a completely different approach to what force awakens did and if i'm thinking about what is it a popular reboot that happened like nightmare on elm street didn't get a sequel after its reboots i guess the reboot for scream 5 it almost feels like the reboot sequel rules that they're doing now is purely based on the fact that Scream 2022 came out and now they need a justification in meta universe for what this thing is. And I just, I don't really buy it. Uh, let's go with, there's no lock on the door. My kid's trying to open this door and he is a crazy little boy. But that's kind of what I'm thinking. It's like the meta aspect of this is more in service of like the scream. Like it's to make it a scream movie, but there's no real foundation with which to make that movie from. Like at least scary movie as, you know, the decline in quality went. Uh, the movie's decline in quality as the sequels progressed. But at least they picked targets that were relevant and new. Like, hell, even the last Scream was mentioning stuff like elevated horror. And in that movie, I'm assuming that the whole Sam uh, 
Sam Billy connection was their way of trying to loop in some sort of psychological drama within a Scream style franchise like some quote unquote elevated horror would do. But in this one, it just feels like they're just dicking around trying to make a movie. And really the only difference, big difference here is like it's a different location. So in my mind, is like, oh, is this going to lean more into like the camp of something like Jason Takes Manhattan? Or is this going to just completely turn the franchise on its head, a la Last Jedi, and completely change something? What's funny is like the movie sets up in the first five minutes a really interesting path for where this could go. You know, I, I don't really want to reveal too much about the opening. Uh, every screen movie has a really good opening. I think this one's actually one of the best. Uh, features some great actors, and I like the dialogue that's spoken, and just a lot of... Uh, it's, it's a good tension builder, you know? But there's kind of like a switch-up that happens in the middle of that opening that made me think, huh, could this be the first screen movie where we're really turning the franchise on its head, that you're following a different type of character. You know, it made me think of uh, this movie that I saw a couple years ago called like The House at the End of the Street, something like that. And that was kind of taking this uh, home invasion and like fucked up shit in a different direction. Like, I, I can't really say much without spoiling it, but really it would have been a decision that would have been fascinating to watch and it would have been a different way to take the scream franchise and yet they cut from the cold open and then you cut it back to sort of the scream two of it all you know the characters are in college there's more characters that are introduced to kind of strength to kind of build out the suspect list that kind of thing and the movie starts explaining this stuff to you and ultimately it just kind of boils down to watching scream two again I would say the with New York, I mean, it's cool to see Ghostface in a bodega. It's cool to have them go on the subway and have all these people surrounding them. Where, ironically, uh, I think they're told to like go in public because the killer is less likely to make a move. But in New York, when it's that packed, you know, you're full in a sea of bodies. So it's easier than ever for someone to just sneak up and do something to you as long as they don't really draw attention to themselves. That stuff is kind of interesting. I like the high rises. There's a scene where they're in like a, the really, really, really tall building and that height difference from just like a regular two story house in most of the other movies. You know, if you fall off a two story house, you might not die. You'll probably break some bones, but you're not going to die. You fall off a fucking high rise in New York, you're splattered. So that stuff creates a little bit more tension. I've noticed people talk about how much more brutal Ghostface is in this movie than the other ones. And yes, that is true. I would say for the franchise, this is probably the gnarliest it's ever been. It's the most uh, grotesque it's ever been. But, I mean, I just saw Infinity Pool. I've been a fan of Ari Aster's work. I've been a fan of something like the fucking Northman. And that kind of stuff, this movie doesn't even hold a candle to. So you have to know on the gradient scale, this is the gnarliest Scream movie by far, but that doesn't really mean much. Even compared to like some torture porn stuff from like years prior, this really doesn't hold that kind of a candle. But you know, everything's a gradient, so you'll know where you sit on that. I do like the performers for the most part. Again, Chad and Mindy are super fun. 
Mason Gooding is always like a charming himbo and uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown. I want her wardrobe, her wardrobe. You watch her costume choices in this movie. It, it's fucking great. She's always uh, kind of like a not taking them herself too seriously type of character. It's it's very much the Randy Meeks of the group and she's got swagger and charm and I, I do like her. Man, I really did fall in love again with Jenna Ortega. Like Jenna Ortega's Tara is a character that is just bolstered by the performance. Ortega is so good at being uh, indignant younger sister. She's good at being sort of like this uh, interested in boys, like this sort of like romance angle that's going on. She's great when she has to be vicious. She's great when she has to be strong and like, help her sister through some shit and it's funny to me that the one real like acting link in the movie that i really cannot get behind is the main character of these movies melissa barrera i just don't see what the camera or what these other directors see in her she's just kind of there she kind of just is dull to me and especially when you're giving such a great like piece of acting meat to chew on as, oh, you're the daughter of a serial killer and you're plagued with this fear that you're going to end up just like him because you have these moments of darkness. I never believe those moments of darkness from Barrera. And partially that's because it's a screenplay, meaning that everybody who does attack Sam and Tara in this movie in some way, shape or form has it coming. So whenever they do get violent and they do get dark the movie presents it as these people are snapping that sam is snapping that she's going crazy she's gotten this sort of internet infamy from uh, reddit users after the last movie that are basically saying that she's done the murders herself and she's the real killer but i i never really buy it I, for one i know that we're not we know that she didn't do the murders in the last movie but it's in terms of this darkness angle going on, I would rather her be a little darker. You know, why not take like a page from Halloween 2 where you have a person dressed up in the killer's getup that isn't the killer that accidentally gets killed? You know, like she could have accidentally like really stabbed the fuck out of some guy just dressed as Ghostface and that would have led herself to at least have this personal trauma of, oh my God, I am a killer. Like I didn't check. Like I wasn't sure that this was the guy. Blah, blah, blah. Like we, the audience would have known that, oh, she's really not the killer. She's really not dark. She's just having trauma. But shit, it at least would have given me some insight, something for her to chew on. It's funny to me that whenever Jenna Ortega does get dark in this movie, everybody gets their opportunity to get a little bit violent. But when she gets a little bit violent, She's better at playing that sort of darker psycho side than the psycho person is supposed to be in the movie. You know, like, she's better at pulling off a Sam Carpenter-type character while being Tara Carpenter. It's fascinating to me how she can do both roles better and then one at the same time. It's making me thinking, why can we not just have her as the main character of this franchise? But I don't know, man. Yeah, This is the kind of movie where... And it's funny because I watched Scream, the first movie, uh, the other day. Just 
right before watching this one. I watched Scream that afternoon. And there's a line in the first Scream where Billy Loomis is talking about Silence of the Lambs and how Jodie Foster has visions of her dead father. And it made me think that the people writing this movie were like, huh, we're going to watch that scene and, you know, use that for the sequel. Not because it would give the character an interesting angle. No, they weren't going to write that. They weren't going to really commit to the sort of darkness that lies with seeing that type of shit. They were going to do it so somebody like me could get on a podcast after watching their movie and be like, oh, that's how they connect to this line in this movie spoken by Billy and blah, blah. It feels like a movie that's written for YouTubers to break down before the movie even comes out. It's written for that kind of audience that watches 20 Easter eggs you missed in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, hours after they see the movie. Just any kind of reference that you can pull back to another movie just because it's a reference and just because it's an inside joke that everybody understands. It, it seems like movie making now in franchises is something that you've got to know more than the other guy. You have to be the one who gets the most references, who knows the most Easter eggs. Like These people are trying to get themselves into, like I mentioned, an inside joke that really doesn't amount to anything. And that's not what makes the first Scream great. Ironically, when you watch Scream, the first movie, what makes it great is the stuff that doesn't mention movies. It's not the Randy scenes where he's talking about the rules of a horror movie, even though those rules came from a tradition that was more established and I guess more distilled and focused on slasher movies of the 80s than this one, which just seems to grab bag whatever fits its fancy. Those scenes aren't the best. Whenever they're talking about, whenever they're doing cringy dialogue about how uh, Billy wants uh, his relationship with Sydney to be like rated R and C-17, like those jokes are cute and all. But what really makes it work is when the movie understands the tropes of a horror film and then creates smart ways within the actual storytelling to make it, you know, to make it fit. To make it make sense, like one of the best scenes in the movie, I think, is whenever Sydney is talking to the ghost face killer for, I think, either the first or second time. And uh, he asks uh, the following. What's your favorite scary movie? Oh, come on, you know I don't watch that shit. Why not? Too scared? No, no, it's just, what's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. So you've got that. Sydney's like, oh, you don't run out the door. You run up the stairs. Some dumb lady. It's insulting my intelligence, whatever, whatever. And then when she goes in the chase, she does the same thing. So you can see that as like a scary movie type of parody. But look at the way the look at the way the thing is shot to run towards the door or to stay in that area is to stay where Ghostface is. Why would you stay there if the killer is like right behind you about to kill you? Also, reasonable to expect from somebody who's worried that people are going to try to break in, the door lock, uh, the little sliding door lock is on the door. And if you're being chased by a killer that's right behind you, you're not going to waste time trying to like mess with that lock and run out the door. You're going to get stabbed. So what's the next best option? You go up the stairs. You don't run towards ghost face that's in the room that would lead you maybe out the back door because you're running into the killer. You go up the stairs. 
So the movie is crafted in a way to where in that scenario, running up the stairs is the best choice. And it's that kind of gotcha antithesis of, oh, this is why horror movies are written the way they are. They aren't dumb. That horror movies aren't, you know, uh, void of thought and reasoning. If you get a good writer, you're going to be able to make the same kind of situation work. You just got to plan it out. I also like that the first time that Sydney recognizes, or at least the Sydney starts to really doubt that Billy is the killer, comes from that setup where she's talking to Gail and Gail is sort of interrogating her about what happened with uh, the serial killer that was uh, convicted of uh, raping and murdering her mom and creating those seeds of doubt to where if she can have doubts about that and what she saw, that would further make her more perceptive to, despite looking at Skeet Ulrich's performance as just a fucking creep and a weirdo, because of her trauma and because of her trying to work out her bullshit, she is more perceptive to just letting him be not a suspect anymore. She's going to leave him alone because she wants to kind of express this idea of like, I want to be clear headed. I want to know what's going down. I don't want to let my past influence what's going on with me now. I want to move on. It's also a great commentary against the sort of puritanical rules of uh, sort of rules or at least traditions of horror movies. You know, the one of the things mentioned, I guess, in the first movie is that whoever is having sex is the one that dies. Right. And in this movie, Sydney's aversion to sex is not treated as something that's puritanical or that she's holier than thou. It's built out of trauma. Her mother was raped and murdered. So whenever she's getting herself in that mindset, she unfortunately can't help but like flash back to thinking about her mother. And so that's an interesting way of bringing the same sort of rules or at least presenting the scenarios of horror movies in a way that fit the character that are baked into the storytelling. And nothing like that ever comes up in Scream 6. What ends up happening is we get like Hayden Panettiere for an extended cameo. Why? I really don't know other than Hayden Panettiere wanted to be in the movie again. You know, what makes Kirby, as a character, need to come back? You know, this, it's just that she's there. You could argue that she wants to help out just because she's a fellow ghost face, per, ghost face uh, survivor. But if that really were the case, where was she in the Woodsboro stuff that brought Sydney, actual Sydney, back? The Sydney that she met knew. Same with Gail. Like, where are these connections coming from? Why are these connections there? You know, the reason that Gail comes back, I... God, Courtney Cox looks just so bored in this. It feels like a contractual obligation at this point. And another thing about these movies, if these movies are supposed to be from people that know the rules of horror films and know how best to survive, why is nobody bothering to double tap? Why is nobody trying to confirm their kills? This is the type of shit that Zombieland made fun of people for almost fucking, almost 20 years ago at this point. I guess 15 years ago at this point. You know, like, you've got the killer on the ground. Why is nobody trying to stab? No, why is nobody trying to shoot in the head? Like, these are just things that horror fans have been talking about for 
decades prior to even the first Scream coming out. And yet you've got these people that are so advanced and know everything that goes down in these movies that they don't apply any of this. And you could argue that they're trying not to be killers or anything, but frankly, man, you're justified. Like, at what point do you, knowing that you can stop this madness once for all and prevent a lot of death, just fucking take it over and take these fuckers out? It's not like they're Batman. It's not like they have a code or some shit. They just choose to run away from a killer that's on the ground instead of finishing the killer and stopping the need to run altogether. It's just dumb basic shit like that that's sending me up the wall. And I really don't mean to be so angry about this one. It's just I don't understand why this movie believes that pointing out the obvious of what's going on in blockbuster storytelling is the same as like providing a good satire on it. Because commentary is commentary. I can tell you what the movie's about and what it does, but if I don't change that approach if i don't give an alternative that is baked in storytelling like you know give me something else otherwise they are essentially just youtube film essay people that don't really know anything except how to you know just comment on what's going on and i guess that's your lane but don't come at me with the pretension that you know so much and that you're gonna subvert expectations and flip things on their head when ultimately this stuff just ends up like what scream 2 ends up as i don't know man i'm just as i drink my water i don't know i'm just tired with this franchise and i've been tired with uh, radio silence as a directing duo for a while i saw ready or not and i know these are all unpopular opinions by the way i think scream 6 is pretty well liked by a lot of people but like Ready or not, I couldn't stand. Scream 5, actually, now that I'm talking about it, I think is better than this new one by a little bit. And then this one just kind of got annoying and boring. So for me, it's three strikes, you're out for Radio Silence. I'm, I'm just not looking forward to anything these guys make, unfortunately. It's going to take a lot for me to kind of like come back on my good graces. But I hope they will. These guys seem like really nice dudes. Any interview that I've seen, they seem humble and really excited to take on the opportunity presented to them and respectful of Craven's legacy. But I'm sorry, you're just not Wes Craven. You just don't have the same skill. And I think there was a proper reason that uh, Wes Craven waited so long to uh, do Scream 4. Just because like, you try to keep this going as a franchise every couple of years what new ground are you going to break? Especially, it's funny, there's a line in this movie that even says, like, who gives a fuck about movies? And at that point, I thought, oh, are we going to take it away from the movies and maybe take it into people being inspired by murders? Like, true crime lovers going into the love of Billy Loomis and Stu Mocker who crafted these murders. It's like, wow, aren't these, like, cool true crime aren't these cool guys to sort of weirdly idolize like a jeffrey dahmer you know the kind of obsession that we have with serial killers like do something to change it up just give me something different and instead i'm getting a recycled batch of the same shit and just being told that because i'm getting a commentary on it while i'm watching the movie that that's enough to make it different it's just fucking not i'm sorry i really really don't like scream six but let me stop ranting <laughs> 
Thank you very much for listening to another episode of The Movies. If you want to follow me, you can do so on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at the links in the description. Please let me know what you think of the show. Review on Apple Podcasts. I will read the reviews on the next episode. Again, you can leave comments, you can review, you can tell me what you think of the show, all of that, but just leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're on Spotify, rate the podcast too. I will totally take that. And I will close out this show with uh, the best part of Scream 6, which is the inclusion of Mr. Brian Fallon and his song from his solo album, Local Honey. It's called You Have Stolen My Heart. It is a weirdly romantic and sweet song in the middle of a movie where somebody definitely takes a couple stabs to the face. Um, This is Brian Fallon with You Have Stolen My Heart. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and always take care of the movies. I don't know if you know, but I feel you in me. Inside of my ears, inside of my bones I remember the colors In your mysterious eyes Part of me stays in the room where we met And everything slows at my breath As I watch you fall across the floor In the night came as it went I could swear